0: Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Basically, I'm just going to say this concerning the area of healing. I don't really pray for people for healing. I heal people. It's a whole different mindset. I know Jesus, the healer is the one that's working through us, but I'm saying that in our heart, if you don't have God's perspective when it comes to praying for people, then you'll make prayer about you. Because you'll take the responsibility upon yourself to do something for him. It's a subtle thing, but it's again, it's a, it's God's perspective, and, and the difference between a human perspective and God's perspective when it comes to releasing the life of Christ. So when I release the life of Christ, it's to kill physical problems, yeah. because I look for change. Because you see, Jesus, the problem belongs to Him. He took it, He bore it, He nailed it to the cross. It's not ours. Amen. And so when it comes to releasing the life of Christ, it's to kill that problem. And the reason we physically get better. When, you know, when there's prayer, is because it's Jesus that's doing the healing. It's Jesus that's setting us free. It's not a human doing it for us. But you see, there's many people in the body of Christ that they have a human perspective when it comes to the area of prayer. And it's almost like they've got their, well, our heart is established on how we receive from another human helping us, like a doctor is an example. And so when you go to a doctor, You're actually um, not free of the problem until they're completely successful whatever methods they use to help you. And when the problem's gone, no matter how they can confirm it, whether it's x-rays, blood work, no matter, you know, whatever the issues were, when the problem's gone, then you're free. But Jesus is our creator. So when there's, you know, when the life of Christ is released and we're getting better, what is a real benefit to your heart is to understand that the reason you're getting better is because you're healed. But a lot of people, because we're so used to receiving based on how we receive help from a human, we don't see ourselves free. We don't identify with freedom because we're getting better. In fact, sometimes I question people, how you doing? And they'll tell me based upon the problem that's still there, not the fact that they're getting better, how they're doing. And that means you're empowering the problems because you've got a human perspective. You're not identifying with freedom and you're not relating for what's been accomplished at the cross because if you empower the problem, you'll hold on to it according to how you believe when really it belongs to Jesus. Foundational truth in our heart is so beneficial when it comes to our human body and how we relate. Praise God. So that's the book on how to receive healing from God. The the book, the other book that was given out has to do with um, the area of uh, helping people to pray in their prayer language, to receive The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then also that book is put together to help people to minister effectively because it's a challenge for many Christians to minister the Baptism of the Holy Spirit to people because it challenges so many people's hearts. And people think that when they speak in tongues they're weird, but but that's okay. You can just... (laughs) Hey. Yeah. Compared to the world, you probably are weird. So anyway, (laughs) you're a believer in the body of Christ. Praise God. (laughs) But man, there's two things I'm going to say about that. The first thing is this. Your prayer language, it's words. We speak words all the time. The difference between when you speak with words is this. You speak from the intellect. When you're communicating with someone through your natural language or whatever languages you're using, you're speaking out of your intellect. It's coming from yourself. It's coming from you. But when you pray in the Spirit, there's a difference. And the reason I'm bringing this out is because of the fact that so many Christians struggle with this area because of their prayer language. They think that if I say words, then it's just me. And you're thinking from a carnal, natural, human perspective. Because it's spiritual. you got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. It's salvation. Your body became the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3:16, and, and because the Spirit of God is on the inside of you, your prayer is a way to release the Holy Spirit because he's involved in the words. He's involved in the utterance. So when you speak words that are transrational, that bypass your natural mind, in other words, not a known language, the Holy Spirit's involved in the utterance. But you are speaking words. So you speak words no matter what, whether it's from the intellect or is spirit. So we have to get over that area of our words because it's, it's a perspective of unbelief. And it hinders our heart, and we limit Jesus in that area of receiving power. Because Acts 1.8, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is power. Along with it is a prayer language. Praise God. So, to quote Forrest Gump, that's just all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) My. (laughs) But today, let's see. This amount of time I have today to speak, I'm gonna, I've, I probably could go about three hours on this. So I've got a lot, I think probably easily four hours because I did that overseas. just on the subject of ministry today, but I'm gonna minister on the three conditions of the heart. And in these areas, I'm gonna be talking about, first of all, double-mindedness. And then I'm gonna be talking about the area of an evil heart of unbelief and what that means. And then a, a heart that is the straight. Other words, a heart that is um, single straight heart but uh, first of all in this area concerning the heart of man when we're talking about the heart then we're talking about what you have on the inside of you you're talking about the area of the soul you're talking about the area of the spirit where the presence of god dwells at salvation where the holy spirit has sealed you you've been sealed with the holy spirit of promise in your spirit which means that no issue on the area of the heart of the soul No issue of unbelief can get into where the holiness of God is at because that area is protected. And so no matter what condition our heart is in, the thing is this, though, because we have a free will to choose, and it's a benefit to choose Jesus over ourselves. but because we have a free will to choose, man, you want to yield inwardly. You don't want to limit Jesus in your life in this area. So the area of double-mindedness, when I'm talking about double-mindedness, then from the Greek language, I'm talking about twice-heartedness. In other words, you got two different beliefs, and of course, the context there is wavering. The fact that we're moving back and forth between two different beliefs, and you know, I'm gonna share a testimony that took place before we flew overseas to minister, where we were gone for about six weeks, traveling and ministering over there in conferences and churches and colleges, but, um, but before we did, we, we flew out here within the U.S. and also um, did some traveling and ministering here in a college and some churches, but, um, but we went and picked up our ministry vehicle and I found a vehicle where um, we could fly on the direction where we were heading down to ministers. So we just decided just to pick the vehicle up and drive. And so we got a vehicle and... and um, um, Toyota truck, but it's a big boy truck, it's not a little boy truck, so it was so big that my wife, she's a lot smaller than me, and so uh, we had to get some work done on it before we could even get on the road, get a running board and some things put on because she needed a parachute to get out of this truck. It's like way to the ground for her to get out, and so anyway, I'm at this business, and I'm just stuck there all day because I'm not home, I'm, of course, out of another state, there in the state of Texas. And uh, and so I was there something like maybe almost eight hours out of the day. And many people came and went as the work was being accomplished, and I was just sitting in their little small waiting area with three little small round tables there. And so I kept busy because I had internet access, and I and of course I, I can stay busy anywhere almost. But uh, but this eventually, later in the afternoon for several hours, this elderly gentleman came in. And, um, he turned out he was very personal. In fact, he came to the very table I was at. He sat across from me, and when he said, across from me, I mean, he immediately began to engage in conversation, and um, we began to talk about things like you know he loved to hunt and different things, and you know he was he was older, he was up in his years, but uh, still very active, and and uh, of course. He was very well off and he loves trucks. He's had, he was telling me about the different trucks he's had, several different trucks. And of course, um, he was at a business where it's the, you know, the toys that guys put on trucks. And so it's all the different things, all the different features. And I mean, he just, he comes he's got this brand new truck, he's coming in there, put all these different features and things on on this truck. And um, so, but he took a look at mine because he wanted to see what the kind of running boards we put on And So he sat at the table, and we were talking about that. But eventually, he turned to me. I mean, we'd been talking for about at least 30 or more minutes you an know, or so. And, and, um, and he, he said he apologized for his face. He said, I hope my face isn't bothering you. And, you know, I never really looked closely at it, but when he commented on it. And I looked directly at it. He told me he had cancer. And you could see the cancer was growing out on the side of his face. And I never really looked closely at it. But of course, my immediate response was to offer prayer. And my, my, at the time, my perspective of him was that he probably was coming from a denominational background possibly. But, um, but you know what? He was willing to receive prayer. And so with his permission, I just put my hands right on that cancer because I'm releasing the life of Christ to kill that cancer. But you know, usually when I pray for someone and minister to someone especially out of a denominational background I will encourage them in the word of God we'll look for change immediately but at the same time you know you know we're not talking about change I'm talking about there's physical symptoms like pain different type of things like that and then I'll look for something changing immediately because when the life of Christ is being released that problem's dying and so but you know as I well, normally I would just encourage him. maybe Hebrews 10, 23. I would encourage them now to hold fast in your profession of faith, knowing that faithful is He who has promised. I normally encourage somebody in the Word, in the area that um, would focus them on Jesus, not on themselves, not on the problem. But you know what? Out of my mouth, I just did the opposite. And I didn't even consciously think about it in my mind. It's like I was talking about our prayer language earlier. We're talking about now 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the area of the Word of Wisdom. Again, it's words. It's like your prayer language. When you pray in the Spirit, it's transrational. It bypasses your natural mind. You don't use your conscious mind. That's Look, if you're trying to use your conscious mind to pray in the Spirit, you're in human self-effort. You're going to limit Jesus. You're going to make it a terrible experience. You're going to make it challenging. You're going to make it hard. You're just going to get in the way make it all about you. But you see, wisdom, it's words. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, that's Words. And so with wisdom, it was just like what flew out of my mouth was a very opposite of what I'd ever encourage someone to do or even myself what I normally do. I started talking to this man about a lady that chose to die and go to heaven instead of receiving healing. It would be like, no, shut up. It's like, keep up. I don't say that. It's like, man, <laughs> what you're going to impart into the heart of this person through words is an image and a picture or something that's just not beneficial for them. It's like, but this lady I began to talk to, I mean, it just flew out of my mouth. And I just began to tell him about this lady that, um, you know, she wouldn't let me pray for her. She wanted to die. She was in her 70s. And, um, you know, a young doctor had um, found a pinprick of cancer. But you see, he said, you are so healthy. You got one of the most healthy bodies. He said, look, this is an outpatient operation. It's a simple thing for me to deal with this cancer. And he said, uh, he said there's no reason why you couldn't live to be 100. And yeah, you know what? Her father almost lived to be 100. He was a believer, and he always said, when I die, I'll die in my own bed. And when they found him, he had a big smile on his face. <laughs> it was like, I bet you Jesus showed up. Well, it was good. So, but, um, but you see... She wouldn't like that doctor. In fact, he was a young doctor, and she eventually had that doctor in tears because she would would not let him take that cancer out of her body and she let it grow. And three days before she died, and I'm just going to try to make the story short and just say this that three days before she died, Jesus himself showed up. And we're talking about a lady that, um, my, she had been hurt in a, in a church that was um, didn't have a revelation of God's grace, a very legalistic church. And the leader there did something that was so harsh in front of everybody, so mean, that it hurt her as a new baby Christian so deeply that, man, she walked away from church, walked away from God in her heart and said, man, these Christians are hypocrites and had this kind of critical judgmentalist on the inside of her, and just caused her to go off the deep end in her life and just walk away from the Lord. But this lady eventually in life came back to Jesus. And it's a long story, but I'll just make the story long story short and say that, uh, you know what, getting a revelation of God's love and God's grace, who God's true nature and character is, began to bring change, She begin to see who God really was and what he's really like. And it changed her. And it gave her confidence to come back to God and so, but at the end of life though, she, she decided, I don't want to live. I don't want to live as long as my father did. And so she chose to die. But three days before she died, you see the family called us on the phone and they didn't know what to do because they're like nominal Christians. And it's like, um, you know, all of a sudden there's two levels of this home. It's like the sun was downstairs, I think the parents were upstairs, and they all saw like angels, flashes, angels. And man, they suddenly all ran up to the top and they're all outside of their mother's bedroom door and she's talking to someone and they're afraid. They're afraid to go in. And as they called us on the phone, wanted to know what to do. And so eventually, of course, we helped them and when they went in, uh, they found out that uh, Jesus had showed up and she had a conversation with Jesus. Whew. Man, that tells me a lot about Jesus. Yes. The fact that look who he came to. Yes. Mm. A person that um, had walked away, but you know, that's love. Man, but you see, I told him about this experience, but you see, I'm talking about now double-mindedness, twice-heartedness. In fact, in the book of James chapter 1, for the sake of time, I'm just going to jump forward and, and go down to verse 6 and, and read the scripture. It says, but, he, but let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord, because verse 8 says he is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. We're talking about twice-heartedness double mindedness two different ways of believing, two different issues of life that is challenging our heart and having an influence upon our heart and how we're believing. And in this situation, you see, I'm telling you about this lady, and all of a suddenly, he opened up And he began to share about his wife. And I didn't know it. In fact, you know, in a ministry situation, one of the things you'll discover is this. Usually, like in an altar call as an example, most people decide within seconds, sometimes about 30 seconds or less, just how much they're going to open up their heart and trust you. Because... People don't just open up their hearts sometimes in the sensitive areas of life very quickly because if you've been hurt by someone you trusted and it's a sensitive area on the inside of you, then there's a tendency to guard the heart, to protect the heart because you don't know this person. You don't know how mature they are. You don't know what they're going to say. You don't know what they're going to do. And if you had all types of life, the experiences were the issues of life and things coming out of people's mouths and the actions and attitudes and all these different types of things. Look to trust someone, which is what faith is, is trust and confidence. To trust someone, to be able to open up your heart, you have to have confidence in them. And you see this man, he, when this wisdom, this what flew out of my mouth, he realized this is God. Because you see, he wasn't opening up his heart in the area of his wife. Six months prior, his wife had passed away. And what was an issue that was deep within his heart was this, and it was producing double-mindedness, because you see, he, Deeply missed his wife. We're talking about a man with lots of money, a man that could, I mean, this is his third new truck as he gets I mean, he's got plenty of money. He can buy all the toys. He can do anything he wants to with money in life. But you know what? He just, he has decided he would rather die. He's ch- I mean, challenged on the inside between wanting to live because he misses her so deeply. He just wants to be with her. But at the same time, his children need him. And he just he and he he's got this conflict on the inside of him. You see, we're not talking about a person with an evil heart. We're just talking about double mindedness. We're just talking about the issues of life. We're just talking about how life circumstances can challenge our heart. Now, a person with an evil heart can have double mindedness, but you see, double mindedness doesn't always mean an evil heart of unbelief, as as the book of Hebrews is talking about, and we'll talk about that briefly in a moment. But the fact is this. We're talking about the issues that challenge us, two different beliefs, two different areas of life where we're raving back and forth because, you see, truth has to solidify when the Word of God, with truth that's found in Jesus Christ. Truth has to solidify when you experience God in such a manner, such a way that it's your whole heart and how you're believing. But if you've got issues of life that are challenging you on the inside, then look, salvation is about the heart. Isn't it interesting, the evangelist, that, of um, course, that went to the Ethiopian eunuch, was later translated and such, but he went to him. And you see, when the man eventually, as he expounded the scriptures and out of the book of Acts, he said, uh, it records and said that he looked out and saw this body of water and said, what's preventing me from being baptized in that water? I mean, boy, say that, something like that to you as car salesman. What's preventing me from buying that car? It'd be like absolutely nothing. You need that car? It's you. It's like you look good in that car. It's like, I mean, they'd love to hear something like that. But you know, it's interesting how he ministered because he had been with Jesus. And you see with the understanding of heart, salvation is your whole heart. And he said this. He said, if you believe with all your heart. And next thing you know, that man's in the water because he was believing with his whole heart. So salvation involves the heart, involves believing from the heart. The dominant belief on the inside is based in Christ, true found in what he's accomplished at the cross. And it comes to anything you receive from God, it's the same way. But if our heart wavers back and forth between two opinions, two different judges of the heart, two different human perspectives and how we're believing, look, receiving will become about us, not about Jesus. And this is, you see, when it says in verse eight, he is double-minded all his way. In fact, verse 7 says, Let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. Look, this is not a negative statement. It's a very positive statement because this is what he's telling believers. He's speaking this to believers to help other people. Because you see, when a person's hearted is a place of not receiving, one of the areas in the body of Christ where Christians get hurt, one of the areas where they get offended and they get hurt, is that it's like, well, I prayed. Lord, why weren't you there? And they don't even stop to consider the condition of the heart sometimes when it comes to receiving. But this man that opened up his heart and he began to talk about his wife, you see, he's opening up now so that I can minister more effectively to him to bring him to a place where receiving now is going to be about Jesus. And he can have confidence to receive because, you see, on the inside, if we're wavering back and forth between two different judges, two different opinions, then we're exactly, as the Scripture says, let not that man suppose he'd receive anything from the Lord. And again, that's not a negative statement. It just, it just means that we've got our eyes on us. It's about us. It's not about Jesus. Receiving mm-hmm. is about him, what's been accomplished at the cross. My. You know, let me just say, before I move on, and I'm trying to move forward just for the sake of time, but let me say this, that um, wavering. Wavering, so a few common things I wrote down. You know, wavering is when you're letting go and taking a hold of something else. It's a back and forth motion. But you're letting go and you're taking a hold of something else and you're going back and forth, almost like you're you know, like a ping pong game. Um, boom, boom. All these thoughts and all these things coming, and you're just wavering back and forth between the issues that are on the inside because you see, you just simply can't be tempted when there's no temptation. But if there's an issue of the heart, then there's, there's a dominating issue, other words, then there's the ability to be tempted. And the democracy is not stupid. And they've been around thousands of years. Inside of the bunch of the heart, the mouth speaks, the choices, the decisions. Our look at guidance system in terms of direction and choices that we make in life. Aye. But to waver doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad person. Not necessarily. Now, James chapter 4 talks about the area of relationship issues of life. And yeah, that could be character issues in that area with relationship issues and and such in this area of life. But the fact is this, though, and the, the examples I've given you here, just with the issues that's within this man's heart, it doesn't mean he's a bad person. Look, it's just the challenges of life. It's just the challenges we're going through and the problems and circumstances and how they're challenging our heart and the choices and decisions we make. It doesn't change the way God relates to us. It just sometimes changes the way we relate to him because all unbelief is about us. It's belief established in relationship to life. What we're choosing to believe from a human perspective. All unbelief is belief from a human perspective. You see, it's just simply where you're putting your focus. What has your attention? Because looking into Jesus, as Hebrews twelve two says, looking into Jesus—that we're looking for the Greek language—basically means it's one hundred percent of what you're looking away from. And if you're the person's doing the looking, that it's us, but it's who we're looking at. It's truth found in Jesus Christ. It's not just the intellect. It's not just something we're choosing to believe, but the truth that we're reading goes beyond the intellect with the help of the Holy Spirit to the point that it becomes real in reality because it's truth found in Christ and it's truth that comes alive on the inside to the point that we take on the identity of that truth in the area of the beliefs of the heart with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 12, 2, the transformation that comes in the renewing of the mind. Change. Praise God. So, What are you looking at? Because what you're looking at is what you have the capacity to experience. Aye. See, it's just the way God created us. It's how our brain works. But when we waver, God's not holding anything back from us. He's given us all things in Christ. No, we are changing who and what we trust in. It's the choices we make. Like I said earlier, faith involves trust and confidence. Trust that does not waver, but you see, receiving. Receiving is about reaching out and taking a hold of something and bringing it to you. So you can't be double minded, twice hearted. You can't waver on the inside because it's truth that is solidified on the inside to the point that you reach out and taking a hold of it according to how you're believing and you're receiving something that belongs to you that's already been given to you at the cross. In receiving, when it's about Jesus, then you identify with it. It's yours. It belongs to you. And so when it comes to receiving, boy, it's yours. Hmm. So you've taken a hold of it according to how you believe. But you see, a person with an evil heart of unbelief, the thing about an evil heart, and I'm going to move now to the area of Hebrews chapter 3 and some in chapter 4 of this area, but, um, but the thing about an evil heart is this. A person with an evil heart is a heart that um, is attacking the character nature of God. Doesn't believe that God is good because an evil heart is a human judgment, a human perspective where we go beyond the circumstances of life and from a human perspective we make judgments based on the character of God, based upon whether or not he's really good. And the example that we have here in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 of an evil heart has to do, of course, with the children of Israel. I'm just going to First of all, skip down to verse 12 in Hebrews chapter 3 and share this. It says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It says in verse 13, but exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3 says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. You see, we're talking about the children of Israel. We're talking about the fact that an evil heart of unbelief that caused them to move away from God and depart away from God, God didn't go anywhere. In fact, he delivered them from Egypt. That's the type of salvation and he delivered them, they were delivered from slavery. But even though they were delivered from slavery, the fact is this. You see, the majority, every single one of them, the majority of them weren't just a slave in Egypt. They actually became a slave. You see, except I believe Caleb and those of like heart. look at his family, Look, if Psalms thirty-three talks about, unity, need to talk about the oil that's poured upon Heron's beard. You see, unity always starts at the top and goes down. And look, the leader, the one that has, the, and look at Caleb, the dominant heart that was on the inside of him when it came to God. Unmovable. But you see, he had a heart that could see good no matter what the circumstances of life was. He could see the goodness of God. He could trust God. He could have confidence in God. You remember the spies? He was one of the spies that went in. And of the 12 spies that went in and came back, he knew the hearts of the others. I mean, he was quick to speak up and say, we're well able to go in and take the land, possess the land. Because, you see, he probably listened to them when they were in the, looking into the promised land and hearing what was coming out of their heart. Out of the buns, of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12, 34. And he was listening, he was hearing, but you see, he was determined. You see, look. Entering the promised land was involved everyone else as well. He was determined to have a dominating influence upon every other single person there. Because you see, I bet you, you look at his family, look, his whole family got to go into the promised land as well as him. That says, it speaks volumes about the influence he had upon his family. But you see, the evil report that came out of the heart of the other ten spies, an evil heart of unbelief, it's evil because it directly challenges the nature and character of God. It cha- look, at one point, just to look at the condition of their heart, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 27. This is what they said concerning the Lord. It says, the Lord hates us. We're talking about the children of Israel that got, the largest percentage of them that got delivered. Look, they got delivered in the experience coming out of Egypt. They got to see when Moses backed them up against the Red Sea and the Pharaoh's army came, look, the pillar of day, the pillar that was there, the cloud that came during the day, the pillar of the fire at night, they saw that. They experienced that. It kept them warm. It kept them cool. And it separated them and the, and, and the Egyptian army that came. And they got to see the Red Sea. They got to experience every bit of it. They saw it with their own eyes. And as soon as they were crossing the, on the Pharaoh's his army was completely destroyed. I mean, the prophetess Miriam is, I mean, they are singing, they are rejoicing, giving God glory. I mean, it's easy to rejoice after there's been a major victory like that when something that, that was so serious, it looked like your life was at the end. But wham, supernatural, God shows up. But you see, they, well, when they experienced, um, well, let's go back to the, to the, to the pillars, let's go back to the fire. Look, every single day that they were there, the goodness of God was manifested continu- continually daily. And so, it, I mean, beginning with just the fact that they stayed warm at night, they stayed cool during the day. I mean, they, that's supernatural. Every single day they could look out and see the hand of God. They could look out and see God there and the reality of something that was manifested continually for them. It didn't happen for the other nations. Man, look. Any good Jew should know that their utility bill just got paid. (laughs) It's like, man, free electricity, like free, cool during the day, warm at night. It's like, that's free, that's good. (laughs) But their hearts, you see, when I say that a person is a slave and it becomes a slave, we're talking about something where they establish their identity, what they identify with. Because you see, when you become something, you take on the identity of it. And they went through such hard adverse circumstances as slaves to the point that it has such a deep effect upon their heart to the point that, you see, their fathers and their father before them, and they were slaves for so long. I can't remember. I think it was something like 170 years or something, or 140, whatever it was. But they were slaves for so long that it just seemed like it was never going to end. It was never going to go away. The actual harsh slavery that came and what they experienced. Look. Yeah. The fact is this, brother and sisters, look, they took on the identity of that. They became that. They became a slave because it just seems like out of the conditions what they're going through, they couldn't see good. They wanted good. But there's a difference between what you want and what you believe. In other words, when it comes to the goodness of God, you've got to identify with His goodness. You've got to see Him as good. You've got to identify with the nature and character of God and know the person behind the promise to the point that you can identify with Him in something before you see the manifestation of it. Mm. But you see, they had been slaves for so long, and then here it is. Their hearts are tested. water. And they just saw the Red Sea and all that took place. But within days now, three days, it's like need water. And the complaining that came out of them and the judgments of the heart and the words that came out and complaining against Moses, have you brought us out here to kill us? My, it was what was within their hearts. They constantly had hearts that could see bad and not see good. When, when you can see the bad before you can see the good, it's a condition of the heart. Look. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse 16. No, i am just skip down to verse 17. Verse 16 says, tells us not to lose heart, but verse 17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us far more exceedingly and eternally weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal... You see, a slave, a person that becomes a slave, and from the rest of their life, they are a slave. It doesn't matter if they're free, they're still a slave, because it determines the way they relate to life, how they think. You see, a person that becomes a slave, their self-worth gets gets deeply affected, because they feel inferior constantly in life. It's like they identify with bad. Other words... Good is temporary and bad is permanent, which is just the opposite of what the Scriptures tells us here in 2 Corinthians chapter four. Paul the Apostle, look, look at his life and look at the things he went through, the stonings he experienced, the shipwrecks, all of the bad being bit by a snake there in Malta. I mean, immediately they looked at him and say, "Oh, it's a judgment of God." Oh yeah, you must be an evil person that it didn't kill him and all of them suddenly changed their hearts. And hey, my wife and I, we've been to Malta several times, and right there at Paul's Bay where he got shipwrecked, I've got a picture of his foot still, and right in the sand. Okay, somebody's footprint. print. <laughs> but the fact is this, the Maltese people, the Scripture talks about how friendly they are. They're still that way today, and how they relate. You can turn and talk to one of them, and it's like they've been your friend all their life. They just relate differently. But, but what God did through Paul Look, his perspective is God's perspective, not a human perspective, because a human perspective that goes through all the bad he experienced, if they take on the identity of the bad that comes upon them, it gets within their heart, then you see bad becomes permanent and good becomes temporary, which is just the opposite of what he's saying here. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's a condition of the heart, which is what you identify with on the inside. Because you see, temporary, when you can look at the bad you're going through, the challenges of life, and look at it and say temporary, and then your heart back up with your mouth is saying, then you know what? You're not a slave. You'd, in fact, I'm going to say this. Um, well, I had some of this to this but, uh, but the, in, in a bit. But, you know, a slave mentality and poverty mentality are almost identical because it involves self-worth. It involves the, how we relate to life and such. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, because you see, you know, it's a mindset. It's a way of living life. But you see, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 1, it says, the Lord hates us. He's brought us out here, out of the land of Egypt, to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. You would thought, with the food, the water, every time they had a problem, they needed water, they needed food, the deliverance from the Egyptians, the fact they were taken care of daily, Every time they experience the goodness of God when there's a problem, you would have thought it would have proven something to their hearts to give their hearts confidence. But you see, your heart doesn't change if you don't purposely take the goodness of God and meditate upon it and really come to know the true nature and character of the person behind the promise. Because you, you, you see, if you don't change, you'll make receiving about you, not about Jesus. And your heart will lose confidence because it's like you're trained to look at the bad before you see the good. And you want good, but it just seems like bad comes easier than good because it's a condition of the heart. It's what we identify with. You see, that's why I say that they weren't just slaves. Even when they were free, they were still a slave on the inside because they had a slave mentality, this poverty type mentality that just sees everything bad. And you know, a person with a poverty mentality, the, the slave mentality, there's a jealousy sometimes within their hearts. They look at others that prosper, succeed, and successful, like Caleb, and such in life. And it's just like, you know, they look at like, well, God, you're doing something for them. You're not doing for me. It's low self-worth. Established within the heart because we make receiving about us, not about Jesus. If their eyes were on Jesus... If their eyes had been receiving, was about the promise, what God said. And the goodness of God they were experiencing to the point that it proved something to their heart. If they would have done something beneficial for their heart. But you see, the thing about a slave and about a person with the part of mentality is there's a root of fear on the inside to yes. some degree. Whether you're fearful or not, to some degree there's a root of fear. Yes. Because you see, from the Hebrew language, that word fear is talking about an expectation of bad. You may want good, but it just seems like bad comes easier than good. And it's what you identify with, it's a condition of the heart. It's the beliefs that are established in relationship to the problems of life when we're finding truth in our problems because we're looking at the problems, trying to solve the problems by looking at the problems. Instead of looking to the Word of God, and then there's a reliance upon the Holy Spirit to help us. Let me tell you something about your heart changing. You need the hand of God. You need the presence of the Holy Spirit. You need the help of the Holy Spirit for change and transformation, because it's not just about the intellect. It begins with words, but it's not about us just choosing to believe something, an act of our will. That's just the beginning of the process of looking and choosing. But when you allow the Holy Spirit, as John's Gospel tells us to be our teacher, and to be our helper, if that's when that's the way you relate to the Holy Spirit, then there's a dependence upon him. You value his voice over your voice. You learn to humble your heart and come into a place where you value his voice because his words can become like gold when you establish a relationship because Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep know my voice, which means you know his voice, whether you feel like you know his voice or not, or whether your heart's so hard, it's like God's not speaking. Look, if the word says you know his voice, you always receive from a place of good. You receive from a place of freedom, not from a place of having a problem. You identify with the freedom you receive from the side, not mine. You receive from, from freedom, not from a place of the problem. You've got to see yourself free. And identify with freedom to the point that every time you experience bad, you address bad, but you establish the goodness of God in your heart to the point that it's like, uh-uh, uh, you're not mine. You don't belong to me. You belong to Jesus. He nailed it to the cross. He took it upon himself. It's not mine. It does not belong to me. It belongs to Jesus. And you refuse to accept it as, as ownership because what you accept and own, you identify with. You take it on the inside and establish beliefs and relationship to the problem. That's why you're holding on to the problem. But then you're wanting God to do something for you. But your heart is at a place of not receiving. Wow. But the thing about the children of Israel is this. An evil heart of unbelief believes the wrong things about God. Because look at Exodus chapter 34, starting verse 6. And we're talking about the time that, of course, Moses said, Lord, I want to see you. And this is what he said in starting verse 6. Because you see, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. The Lord isn't interesting. He's proclaiming. He's, he's speaking something for the benefit of his heart. He's getting revelation, truth. as He's experiencing the manifestation of God in his life. And he says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin and so on. But I'm just going to stop there because, you see, I want you to focus on the true nature and character of God, who he really is. You see, Moses had a heart that could come to know who he truly was. But look how the children of Israel related. You see, when they had the opportunity to have a closer relationship with God, you know one of the things they said, Exodus chapter 20, Starting verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thundering and the lightning and the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountains of smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you you speak. You speak with God and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. (laughs) Look, that's fear. Fear will keep you from coming to know the reality of the true nature and character of God because you see, an evil heart of unbelief attacks the nature and character of the goodness of God and who He really is His long suffering, His mercy, His gracious, His grace that He shows towards us. Of course, the new covenant through Jesus Christ, the reality of who God really is. Man, you've got to not just agree that He's good. You've got to have that reality established within your own heart to the point that it determines the way you relate. You know the person behind the promise to the point that it gives your heart confidence. Yes. Mm. Yes. Because Moses said to the people, do not fear for the Lord has come to test you. Look, the testing was for the benefit of the heart. A testing has to do with, with you being, your own heart being revealed to the point that you can do something about it. It has nothing to do with, let me say it this way, God doesn't bring bad to test you. No, no, no. Look, they were tested when God wanted to give them good. But they had a heart that couldn't receive good because they identified with bad. They were a slave. It's all a condition of the heart. And I've got more to share and I've got time to share it. I'm going to quickly just say this. Look, there's a language of the world. 1 John chapter 4 verse 5 says, They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world hears them. Another translation says, These enemies belong to the world, and the world listens to them because they speak its language. Look, the language comes out of the evil heart of unbelief that's established on the inside of them. And you see, this area of a single heart, I want to move into that because um, I could say a lot more on what I'm saying, but I just simply don't have time to go into it right now. But the fact is this. A single heart. When we're talking about a single heart, we're talking about Jesus because you take a look in Luke chapter 11 and verse 33, it says, no man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but put it on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. Verse 34 says this, "...the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when the eye is single, the whole body is also full of light. But when the eye is evil, the whole body is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, the light which is in the big darkness." Be not darkness. If thy whole body therefore be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Look, you're not going to understand these scriptures as like what? Light being darkness is like that. Look, you're going to be confused unless you understand the form of communication that's taking place here because when it's talking about, first of all, single, you're talking about one, not several. Truth is solidifying. Truth found in Jesus Christ. Truth is about Him because you see a heart that is straight speaks about Jesus Christ. Speaking of the straight, speaking of the narrow, not the wide path, narrow, tr- that where you're compressed because it becomes about Jesus, not about all of our human judgments or human opinions, human perspectives on what truth is. No, it's tr- truth found in Christ Jesus. But when you're talking about light here, where it says, take heed, therefore that the light which is in you be not darkness, your, light is your source of where truth comes from. Is it from yourself? Or is it true found in Christ? Hmm. Because you see, it, we're your source of light. If it's from your human perspective, unbelief, beliefs that are established in relationship to our problems in life, then we're going to look at ourselves in relationship to the beliefs of our own heart to find truth. And it's going to become darkness to us. You see, that area of the eye when he's talking here about the light of the body is the eye, he's talking, that's the area, talking about the heart, the place where you perceive and believe and understand. And beliefs that are established in Christ, truth found in Jesus Christ has been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit to the point that you take on the identity of that truth, when you become that truth, to the point that when you get squeezed by life circumstances, the external, was coming through the five senses, the communication through what you touch, taste, see, smell, hear, when the circumstances that are real are there, but you've got something else on the inside of you, you'll look inwardly. You'll yield inwardly to truth-finding Christ, and you'll then with what's on the inside of your heart, you'll speak words, and you'll address and speak to it because, you see, you're, it's like you're not identifying with it. It's like it doesn't belong to you because you've already got truth-finding Jesus Christ that determines the reality of who you are. You see, the heart is straight, when we're talking about Jesus, not several, not in beliefs established from a human perspective, but we'll come about truth found in Jesus Christ, the straight, the narrow that's in that area. But you see, in Second Chronicles chapter 30, I'm going to give some examples from the Old Testament here and the life of Hezekiah the king. And I'm going to try to skip through this for the second time and just skip through a few of the scriptures here. But I encourage you to read verses 1 through 12 in its entirety. But just to explain it, Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah and wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For it says in verse 2, for the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month for they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of the priests... Had not yet consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem, but the matter pleased the king, so they resolved to send out a proclamation, in other words, through all Israel, through all the land, that they should keep the Passover. And skipping ahead here, man, he. Verse 6, runners were sent out to all of Israel and to Judah and all the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king, children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who has escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespass against the Lord God their fathers so that he gave them up to desolation as to sea. Now, do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, But yield yourselves to the Lord and enter His sanctuary, which He has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of His wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated as compassion by those who lead them captive, so that they may come back to the land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. You see, his focus, no matter the bad that's coming, his focus is on the goodness of God, that good belongs to you, good will come to you, even under the verse, a verse of bad circumstances that they're under. But look at the response. You see in verse 10, it says, the runners that were sent out to every city. When a runner, words, a person that's sent in the name of a king, it's the same as the king speaking. The same, you see, the situation with, um, in the New Testament with Jesus, and you see the centurion sending his servant. Look, you see one of the passages, scripture saying it was a centurion himself that was there because even though he physically wasn't there because you see it was proper communication because when a person sent in the name of someone else, it's not the words of the person that came. It's the words of the person that was sent them that you're hearing. And so the king was sent these people in his name, and Manassas, as far as Zebulun, and they laughed at them and mocked them out of the majority of the hearts of Israel and all of the tribes, look, they had no value for the word of God. They had no value for even the king who was speaking the word of God. I mean, we're experiencing that today in our culture with leaders. No value for God, no value for the word. But you see, it's a condition of the heart here again. But you see, verse 12 says this. It says, the hand of God was on Judah. Before I say it, let's go to verse 11. Because you see, Out of all the tribes, it says this. It says there were some people in verse 11 that humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. But let me tell you, to humble your heart and come when every other person around you has no value. You can imagine what they went through. Probably the people looked at them and said, are you stupid? Are you a fool? I mean, you actually going there? Look, if they mocked and ridiculed, made fun then you know the condition of the heart, the beliefs that were within them. They had no value for God at all. Look, we're talking about the children of Israel, those that were delivered. They forgot the goodness of God and the deliverance that were brought into the promised land. They had forgot the true nature and character of God, who he really was. And except for a handful that humbled themselves, but see, verse 12 tells us something very important. There was only one tribe that experienced the hand of God. Only one tribe it says, also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart. Look, when you see the hand of God, there's many places in Scripture. I mean, you can go from the Old Testament right in the New Testament. Every time you see the hand of God, you're talking about a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You're talking about God showing up. Something powerful showing up to the point that it's like, that's God. It's his hand. In other words, he's doing that. This is not a human ability, human effort, not the hand of man. It's the hand of God. It's what he's accomplishing here. And it says in the hand of God, in other words, it's referring to the power of God, the presence of God. But in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, one example is uh, verse 21 says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. My, there's so many. Psalms 118 It says in um, verse 15, the voice of rejoicing and salvation in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. So many believers have taken a hold of that scripture to receive based upon the, the goodness of God. I shall live. But the hand of God means this. You're experiencing the help of the Holy Spirit. You're experiencing God showing up in that situation. We're talking about Judah who are the only tribe that experienced the manifestation of God's enabling ability to the Holy Spirit. The very manifestation of God's presence. And the result of what took place when God showed up for them was a single heart. The heart straightened out, speaking to straighten the narrow. See Proverbs 1720 says, a crooked heart can't see good. It just wants good. But it can't see good because that word to see means to perceive with the, perceive with the eyes of the heart. And when you have a human judgment, human perspective, human opinion, um, beliefs established from a human perspective, human judgments, and relationship to your problem, then your heart becomes crooked. It's not the straight. It's not the narrow. It's not speaking about Jesus Christ. There's a crookedness on the inside of us in relationship to life because the deep beliefs that are established, because of the challenges of life, the circumstances we've gone through, and the Holy Spirit can straighten out your heart. The Word of God work in your heart. You see, when it goes beyond the intellect, it becomes understanding. It can bring a change and a transformation on the inside where all of a suddenly, you can sit back and go, why did I make it so hard? It's, it's it was really easy. Before, everything was so hard because it was about us, not about Jesus. You see? Hmm. My. Proverbs 1720. Hmm. It just can't see good because, you see, it just wants good. But it doesn't identify with good. It's like good doesn't belong to you. Mm. Praise God. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.carischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.